Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. Well, hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. I'm so glad that you're here. And today we have a very distinguished author with us who has a very great body of work, um, Marsha Morgan. And so, Marsha, would you like to say hi to all those listeners? Well, hello, everybody. Thank you, Vicki. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, you're so welcome. Welcome to the podcast. So let's start to get to know you just a little bit. Um, so, Marsha, what state in the beautiful Pacific Northwest do you live in? I live in Oregon, and I specifically live in Bend, although I've lived all over Oregon. Yeah, I love, love Oregon. And so um, Bend, if you guys have been following me in the podcast, that's where the newspaper article came out in. Um, So I was pretty excited about that. Is that how you found the podcast? It is. I did. I saw it in in the paper. Yeah, yeah. We were pretty excited about that. So I'm so glad that you found us. Welcome. And um, so let's get... um, kind of dig in a little bit about right out up front and I it's my stumper question so if you've listened uh, Marsha to my podcast you know it's coming so now I need to change the order because enough authors know it's coming um so tell our listeners and your future readers just a little bit about yourself one thing that you would like them to carry away about your character who you are as a person that is a, a tough question sometimes to talk about yourself. Um, well, I'm a criminologist and have worked in the field for, gosh, 40-some years. And I, I've i written a lot in the for the field, a lot mm-hmm. of you know, nonfiction, that kind of thing. But I, I guess to answer the question is it's a pretty disciplined field. And I think that discipline has carried into my writing. Mm-hmm. I've had to really... Um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm pretty organized and orderly and all those kinds of things. And that's really been helpful in, in my writing as well. That's awesome because that is part of the discipline, isn't it? To be organized thought-wise than to be able to lay it out on paper so readers can follow your thoughts in an organized fashion. So mm-hmm. fantastic. Very cool. So you touched a little bit about your background and I want to dive a little bit in here about it. We're not going to go super deep into your background because I think people can go find your website, beautiful website, get to know Marsha from her website and find out more about her. The criminal um, side of, of what you do every day must be energizing and also a little taxing I can imagine (laughs) so so share with us just a little bit you've written quite a few um, nonfiction books in the world of helping victims so kind of give us a teeny little resume of what that's about for our listeners sure Um, I started out this work uh, out of out of college and I um, was in law enforcement for a number of years and headed up one of the first sexual assault units, law enforcement based in the country that were all females. Mm -hmm. And during that time developed the anatomical dolls that Mm -hmm. police and social workers use when they interview victims who've been sexually abused, usually children uh, use them uh, and formed a company way back in 1980 Mm -hmm. uh, to Mm -hmm. do consulting and training and so forth. So my first book uh, was around how to interview sexual abuse victims and using the dolls and that that kind of thing. It was pretty new back mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. Uh, pretty kind of revolutionary, so to speak. It's a very simple concept of using a, a doll to demonstrate what happened rather than having to verbalize, which mm-hmm. is a challenge mm-hmm. for children. Mm-hmm. So that's that was kind of the first, first uh, book 
that I put out there. And that was a traditional publisher. Uh, and so then your career has been expanding upon that and speaking and training in law enforcement, that particular set of skills of interviewing. Is that well, you? that was the start. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, it definitely has expanded. So I went back to school and um, got master's and doctoral work and uh really found that I wanted to work with gender issues in mm-hmm. criminal justice and mm-hmm. sexual violence issues. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably the last 20 years, most of my work has been in prisons mm. and jails with women who have committed crimes. Incidentally, most of them had been victims of sexual mm-hmm. abuse. So it's kind of a full circle thing. So I've mm-hmm. done a lot of work in uh, helping um, train uh, correctional folks that work uh, in jails and prisons and how to be gender responsive is the term mm-hmm. they use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's, a, it's a variation of a theme, but my specialty area is, is gender and crime. Absolutely wonderful and fascinating. And before we start recording listeners, we're recording this at a very political time <laughs> in this very subject. Um, I don't think I need to go into detail and I won't because you probably know what we're talking about. And, and I just find, I feel like any dialogue is the best you know, to get dialogue out there going about gender-specific issues and um, crimes against women is incredibly important. I'm a big, big advocate for, for the dialogue coming out. So I commend you for your work and thank you for the work you've done. Um, and I think that it's relevant and it will hopefully continue to be relevant, unfortunately. <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of healing that can happen too. So that, that's the yes. positive side. So, so thank you. Um, so as I was thinking about this podcast interview, um, you know, I typically bring people on that are that have already done literary nonfiction, I mean, fiction or memoirs kind of stories. And um, Marsha and I were talking a little bit about that because one of the books that you're going to read from today really dives into some women's stories, but on a positive, successful side of it, correct? So share with us a little bit about the premise of that work and the title and kind of where you're going with that work. Because I I find it fascinating. It's probably a book I'm going to purchase from you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sure. Yeah. I've written, as I mentioned, a a, a number of books, but they've all been nonfiction. One was for children and on a safety book and um, curriculum. And I've written about 20 books for the federal government, which is like a whole, you know, kind of interesting avenue to go that route to where you sign over your, your copyright. Do you get paid? <laughs> yes, you actually do. That's, that's the nice thing. You get paid up front and you write these books. I don't, if you've ever, yeah. you know, contacted the government for some publication, you don't think about who writes those no, things, but, uh-huh, but yeah. yeah, that's, that's uh, a lot of what I've done in my, my real work, my real job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, but I decided just a few years ago, actually nine years ago, I've been working on this book for about nine years, um, that I wanted to do a mass market book, um, mm-hmm. or f- you know, for the general public, um, and specifically for women and girls. And it was based on um, talking to women in prison who were meth addicts or, you know, or whatever crime they were in for, you know, people mm-hmm. who are pretty down on their luck. I also started working with some corporate women and some uh, just across the board kind of women. And we, I found that so many of them shared the same experience of losing their goals and dreams. Mm-hmm. So the name of the book that I wrote, it's only been out a few weeks and I'm happy to say it made it on the Amazon bestseller list the Yay. first week out. Very Congratulations. <laughs> I know, very excited. Um, it's published by The Publishing Circle. 
And the name of the book is Go, How to Get Going and Achieve Your Goals and Dreams. And it is a a book that's kind of in two parts. It talks about how dream drain uh, happens to women. You know, it's basically life. You know, you mm-hmm. get married, you have kids, um, mm-hmm. you have obligations of work and school, you know, everything kind of gets put on the back burner. And then you just wake up one day and go, oh my gosh, what happened to mm-hmm. the thing I wanted to do to travel to India or to be, you know, become a school teacher or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's how to look at what's happened and then how to turn that around. I love it. I think that's very powerful message and I'm super excited. You are going to share um, for us in that, from that book. So I'm very excited to hear that. Um, so a little bit of backstory for my podcast listeners know this about me, but I'm hitting my middle age 40-ish age mark and it literally dawned on me. Um, I mean, I've done it all. I've done the followed my husband in his career, um, was able to have a beautiful life doing that with him and then coming home, raising our kids, putting them through school, myself going through school, starting a career. Um, but my dream was to be an author. It always has been my dream from, from the time I was a very little girl. You can ask my mom. It was either going to, I was going to be Wonder Woman. I was going to be an author. So um, <laughs> me, Wonder Woman, you know, I'm still believing I'm going to be Wonder Woman, but um, an author was something that was felt like was out of reach for me. And um, just recently I've told a story before and the, and on the podcast is I was kind of debating if I was going to start my doctorate degree or do something else. I was getting antsy. Our kids are raised. My career is in a really, really fabulous place. And, but I, I just needed something else. And I talked to my husband. He's like, you're such a great writer. Just write. And I'm like, oh yeah, duh. <laughs> and so literally since um, April of this year, April, May of this year, I've been living my dream. And that's what the podcast has um, been developed from is me asking people about their journey of authoring and the dream. So um, it took me a while. I wasn't, I'm a, I feel like I'm a late bloomer in that sense, but, but I'm, I'm getting there. You know, I kind of feel like it's mm-hmm. such a journey and, and um, so it's wonderful. So I'm super excited about your work that you're, you're right. You've written this book for people. Maybe younger girls can catch that sooner, you know, and being a woman, I feel like we have such a juggling act. <laughs> we have so many roles we have to juggle. So. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You should say that about um, when you were young, because mm-hmm. there is a, a chapter in here that talks about how you can tap that that dream or goal that you had because so many women I've talked to are, are kind of uh, numb almost yeah. they don't know what what their goal is yeah. or what they want to do uh, and one of the exercises in the book there's uh, several opportunities to kind of ask yourself questions and dig a little deeper is to think about what you wanted to do when you were 10 11 yeah. 12 years old and oftentimes that's a way to to tap into that to, yeah. to be wonder woman or yeah, whatever exactly. it might be yeah. well what's really fascinating is years and years and years ago i can't remember when i must have been in high school or maybe junior high i remember someone saying somewhere when you were a little kid what you played like you know, if you played school teacher or if you played writer or whatever, that's probably your passion. And that's what you might as an adult go look into doing. And I always played teacher and I always played writer and I always played Wonder Woman. So I'm fulfilling the teacher aspect in my everyday job and the Wonder Woman aspect will be there. <laughs> I have the costume <laughs> and everything. <laughs> but, um, but seriously, um, the writing part was the part that I, I never had believed that I could do there, you know, for some reason. So, so um 
Great. I'm super excited. But before we jump into your actual work that you're going to share with us, the stories, um, let's talk a little bit about your publication journey because you have a very diverse journey, more so than maybe some of my other authors. You've already touched on publications for um, the federal government, which is very interesting. Um, But you have done traditional and self-publishing and hybrid. So walk us through the journey. Your first book was traditional. And then did you depart from there and do self-publishing? Kind of give us the the rundown. Sure. Um, Yes. I feel like I'm kind of the poster child for (laughs) all the different possible ways you can publish. (laughs) Um, You know, and there's pros and cons to each. So yes, I did that uh, traditional publisher. Um, I don't know if you want me to get the pros and cons I'm happy to but we will well yeah if you want go for it (laughs) Um, yeah I mean obviously when you go with the traditional publisher as people probably have shared with you that um, you know they've got the money behind to do the promotion and and that kind of thing but they have you know pretty much total control Um, so as the years went by because this has been a few years ago now um, you know it was great getting the royalty checks but then you know the book that started out at $29 is now $149 and you know not selling quite as many or to a few libraries here and there. So anyway, you lose that kind of control. But so the second book I wrote, uh, it was called My Feelings, and it's a safety book for uh, children uh, ages four to 10. And it's used in schools all over the country. And it's uh, a little storybook that, you know, kids learn uh, and often read with their parents or that kind of a thing or in in the classroom. And I did self-publish that one, actually went to um, Hong Kong, found a place that did... um, printing, not uh-huh. a publisher, but just printing. I bought a container full of books and oh. them shipped to the port of Portland. Uh, you were the first author I've heard this done at. That's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> not that I would do it, but oh man. That's yeah. So yeah. It's got so you actually went there too and you met with them and you in Hong Kong. Yes. Oh, what a yes. Yeah, frequent flyer points, you know, <laughs> low, low budget thing, but, um, but yes, I mean, I, at the time I could not find a printer in the mm. Portland or Oregon area that was, had the right size mm-hmm. um, capacity capacity to, to, to do them. So anyway, yes, I got, um, you know, 10,000 books. <laughs> so then you had to the dilemma of, oh my gosh, where do you store them? And yeah, anyway, yeah. so I sell that one on Amazon, but I have to, you know, ship it myself. Mm-hmm. I do my mm-hmm. own fulfillment on that one. Yeah. Um, so the, and that's kind of some of the pros and cons. And then I did one called Safe Touch a few years later, and it was, um, it's used in the schools. It's a, it's a, a curriculum as well for K K through five grades. And that is one also I print actually here in Bend and mm-hmm. do the fulfillment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, with any of those, as, as you can imagine, you have to have a pretty good sized storage area. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> they have all those. So it's not like using create space now. I mean, yeah. you actually physically do it. So yeah. that's a different kind of self-publishing. Um, and then uh, I had one other little one that was a, another forensic interviewing one on, on um, how to talk to children about abuse. Um, and that was another one I self-published. But um, the hybrid one, uh, which is the one I mentioned just that just came out, the go, how to get going and achieve your goals and dreams. It's Every hybrid is a little different. Mm-hmm. But like with the publishing circle, um, they don't take uh, everybody. So they're a little bit more traditional in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you... You have to, you know, pay for the editing and that kind of thing, which I would have done anyway. So it really yeah. seemed like a really good fit. And I've been really impressed with um, that combination. But with any of them, <laughs> as I'm sure people have told you on this 
on your show that it's a lot of work. Yeah. What option you choose. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be across the board message that I've received. I think my listeners have received is that you really have to love your, what you're doing and what you're writing because the act of writing is fantastic. You know that you get fulfillment from that, but if you want others to read it and see it, you have to hustle and get out there and do it and make it work. And so and the one thing that I like about you and, and so listeners definitely go um, to Marsha's website. It'll be on show notes is that you already have a platform and you and I were talking a little bit about author platform um, and because of your background and, and what you were writing prior. Now this is a little, we're out me a little bit because you actually are working on a fiction fiction book as well. So <laughs> listeners, when she gets that fiction book out, she'll be coming back and sharing that with us, I hope. And sure. um, um, but you already have a strong platform. So talk a little bit to um, authors, because you and I talked just a little bit about it before we recorded about an author's platform, um, because you do speeches and you do lectures and you do workshops and things like that. And that does that generate sales for you? And, and does that tie into your marketing a little bit better than you can imagine if maybe somebody didn't have a platform? So share with us a little bit about that. Yeah, platform is is very real. It seems like I went to a lot of workshops, writers' workshops, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing about how to build your platform. Yeah, um, there. <laughs> yeah and you know, I, I I you know do Facebook, and I've got my new author's website. I have my my firm, my business website as well. But um, and most of my work through the years has been word of mouth. So I never you know to get clients and that kind of thing. So I never really did um, the hustling around social media. I mean, yeah. I really didn't I do Instagram and Twitter, although I just set up my account this week. Oh, but, good. Um, but, you know, I'm trying I to, It really is. I didn't think it was, but it really truly is. Okay. Maybe we can talk uh, <laughs> off show about that because <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work, but I'm, oh, I, know, but I, I, I got some tricks I'll share with you. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Um, yeah. So, you know, kind of that and LinkedIn and, you know, some of those kind of things. But, um, yeah, the platform, I think because my work was in criminal justice and, and a lot of, I've written a number of articles too for, you know, juried, mm-hmm. um, you know, journals, that kind of thing. Um, it was hard for some, um, literary agents, which I really, tr- I tried for about a yeah. year and a half and probably okay. sent out about 50 queries mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. people could not get the link. between trans- yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you about this. So yes. I'm talking about it. <laughs> and it's like, you know, people can do different things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. It still is, you know, around gender issues and that kind of thing. But I think that was a real struggle. My platform maybe didn't mesh in some people's minds with mm-hmm. the new book, but I, I, I see the connection, but <laughs> it was convincing. I see the connection and I can mm-hmm. follow the connection very well. Um, but, you know, you and I had a conversation prior to our recording because I wanted to make sure that I stay in my parameters of what I typically do, but I see the connection and I also um, see that there's a future connection with you with your your future fiction book. Um, but the thing is, is that I would think that you kind of get pigeonholed maybe into mm-hmm. a specific kind of writing or specific genre, I guess you could say, where I had authors come on and talk, be careful what genre you pick when you, or say what you're involved in genre wise when you first come out, because you could get pigeonholed into that. 
And mm-hmm. like you said, it's all writing and there's all facets of us. So it's different. We might want to write some poetry or we might want to do an academic piece. And so I can see where agents are um, challenged with finding your who you are to mm-hmm. promote that. So have you given up or are you going to continue <laughs> oh, <laughs> with, you an agent, with an agent? Well, you know, maybe the next book. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I feel real comfortable with the you know how it how this last book that just came out ended up, but um, yeah, I'm just kind of at the beginning phase of the next writing. That's the problem. I'm still in the very early stages uh-huh. of still doing a lot of marketing on this one, so yeah. um, or doing a lot of book signings and all those kind of good things. So, um, which is fun. I really enjoy that, um, mm-hmm. especially since, as you know, writing is so solitary, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you get to talk to people and people share stories, and it, that's yeah. really rewarding. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. do you think you need an agent? That's the question I keep going back and forth with myself. And, and a lot of people that know me personally are like, you don't need an agent. You micromanage everybody around you. You know how to manage yourself. You manage hundreds of students. But there's a difference between literary agents and management and, you know, managing your time and things like that. But do you think you need one? I'm curious. I, I'm just curious. I want to know what you say because I go back and forth myself on it. <laughs> you know, af- after having, like I said, sending out so many queries and and trying to learn from each one, was I saying mm-hmm. something wrong, or you know, do I need to tweak it somehow? I I really got pretty negative on the experience. Yeah. So, um, and I, you know, the world of publishing is changing so quickly. I, I don't know that you really do. I mean, maybe some people do. I don't want to yeah. say absolutely. No, I think some people's experiences are great. So here's a challenge to any agents that are listening to this podcast for mm-hmm. Marcy and myself. <laughs> Show <laughs> us that you can help us out. Show us what you can do. So get in contact with us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Let's flip this whole relationship yeah. around, you know? So, so yeah, I, I can see that they could play a wonderful role. I mean, they've got the connections with the big publishing houses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can really guide things along. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's there's some benefits for sure. Yeah. And I've heard both sides of the story. And, it, and that's probably why, because doing this podcast, I hear good and bad and I hear neutral often too. And so that's why it kind of, it helps me a lot, but it also makes me wonder really, where am I going to land out? But that's what's so great. It's a journey. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we'll see where we land, right? Well, it's, you know, you have to kind of look yourself in the mirror before you start and throughout the whole process and think, okay, I'm not a failure when you've gotten your 25th rejection letter. (laughs) But you do have to start thinking is after a while, is that really the right path? Exactly. Exactly. And that's probably the deepest lesson with anything in life. But in Mm -hmm. this particular case, because we're talking about publishing and agents and working on work, it's almost like when you're writing a piece of work, you have to know when you need to stop as well and turn it over Mm -hmm. to an editor. You know, you kind of have to have this internal um, dialogue with yourself to be able to say, okay, I'm going to stop and I need to turn it over. My baby's going away and they can come back and I can work on her some more or it's some more. So, so, mm-hmm. so you've worked with editors, you, um, and you probably worked with different types of editors. I'm sure when you were doing your professional writing, you were collaborating quite a bit in that mm-hmm. realm. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm one of those weird people. I love editors. Oh, do you? <laughs> See, I'm going to embrace that from you. So, I'm scared to death. Well, I mean, you know, and it comes back and there's tons of, I sort of say red marks on, I guess it's really track changes these days, but green um, we've been taught to use green marks in education. Green markers. Yes. <laughs> um, 
for me, it's like, oh yes, somebody's paying attention and someone's oh. really listening. And I, you know, I've been sitting for hours by myself at this computer yeah. and I just loved it. I, yeah. I, and I know people who got their first editing back and never picked up their yeah. book again. Yeah. I think, I think it comes from a place I heard somebody say, I can't remember who it was. So if it's a famous author, forgive me, that your work is not your own. You know, it's only your own in your mind and then you put it on paper and then it gets owned by, you know, if you publish it, it's owned by the publisher. When an edit editor edits, they put themselves into that. So it's never really your own. And I think ownership as an author is a great thing, but it can challenge us to receive uh-huh. feedback and that I'm not the best with feedback so anybody that knows me is probably laughing I know my husband's probably laughing very much at this part of this <laughs> podcast because I've had to teach myself to receive feedback and not look at it as a negative lose thing that uh-huh. that can be a win-win and that has taken some therapy on my side of my life <laughs> to get to that point so we'll see when I get to an actual editing part I'm sure we'll have that discussion with people on the podcast my reaction because I will see if I that therapy goes into effect mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know I totally hear what you're saying and and I may have had a very lucky situation with my editors, but with this last book, I, there were really only two little areas that I thought mm, I'm not sure I agree with that mm-hmm. and but it wasn't it wasn't that big and I kind of trusted them on that and it was fine. It turned out fine. But really out of all this stuff of tweaking and yeah, yeah. and rearranging and really I said that, ooh, I meant to say this. You yeah. know, it, it was okay. Well, one lesson I tell myself and I tell all of my students, because I have students that, you know, will be going into early English classes and, and they're some of them are pretty um, nervous about writing. And I tell them all the time. Um, the best authors do not write alone. So there are points in every life, no matter if you're doing academic work, school work, or your own writing, that you need to get feedback from others because um, the best writers use other people to help with feedback. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to embrace, the, what I've been preaching for six years to my students, that the best authors actually don't write alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I found, if, you know, if I was going to give some advice, and maybe I'm jumping ahead on some no, of your questions, but, no. but um, I have a, a, have a good friend who happens to be a psychotherapist, a counselor here in, in Bend, and um, she's very creative and was doing some writing too. And so we used to get together uh, for about a year, mm-hmm. uh, every few weeks uh, at a local pancake house. We called nice. it pan- Pancake and Prose, and <laughs> we would um, give each other feedback. I know a lot of people have critique groups and things, and I did not. So this mm-hmm. was um, really, really helpful and moved me along. It it helped me. It did not help my waistline, however, no. having all those pancakes. But, <laughs> yeah, um, but that was really, really helpful just to have um, a, a kind, good friend who mm-hmm. um, was also into writing and creative things. So mm-hmm. I... I highly recommend getting someone like that. And you beautifully segue into the question of support groups. So thank you. It was almost like you just planned it for me. Um, (laughs) So fantastic. Wider groups and support groups are absolutely wonderful. And thank you for sharing that part of it. So um, share with us also, um, a lot of our authors or aspiring authors may not live in an environment or a place where they can get connected with somebody or they don't know that person's around the corner because they haven't asked. Uh, That's what I had to learn is to ask. And I find all these beautiful authors around me I didn't know existed um, but if they're not that place do you have any online resources associations that you can suggest that I can add into show notes as a resource for other authors 
Well, when I was in Portland, uh, I used to live in Portland before Bend, and I belonged to Willamette Writers, and I still get get their things. Um, mm-hmm. There's also Central Oregon Writers um, Guild, oh, which yeah. I belong to uh, I'll here. I'll that one, so we'll make sure that one's on podcast. Yes. Oh, they're very good. They meet once a month and um, in the evening, and there are a lot of writers in Bend. Uh-huh. So, I've, I've found this out after my article came out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like, bet you I did. Bend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, people, you know, kind of come here for uh, quality of life. And yeah. I, somebody told me recently there's like 25% of people work, uh, employed people work out of their homes oh. um, and do, you know, you know, I work in Washington, D.C., in fact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's where my clients are. So I think there's a lot of writers and those kind of folks that just work out of their homes. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, those are the two groups I belong to. And then, you know, I seem like I, I get some, listen to podcasts and different, yeah. um, try to go to, conferences when I can. Yeah. Now podcasts, podcasts are what started for me. I mean, obviously I love podcasts, otherwise I wouldn't be doing one, but I started listening to a lot of podcasts when I first got the bug to write in the industry. And I have some ones that I love, um, that I still listen to all the time. So podcasts are fantastic. So, um, so before we get started in your reading and, and I'm going to have you set up that reading for the listeners because it's a little bit unique, but before we get started there, um, tell us what is your inspiration or if you want to flip that around a little bit, what keeps you going? Because your subjects can be draining, I can imagine, in a personal life. But what keeps you going to continue to write and want to inspire women and, and, and girls and others um, to find their potential of who they are? That's a good question. I it just in the last few days, actually, I've been thinking, wow, we're going through all these issues yeah. and discussions that, um, you know, I dealt with in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, 70s, exactly. Even, yeah, exactly. Dating myself to your listeners here. But, no, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, you I know? thought the same thing. I'm like, I know I heard this before, this, this scenario. <laughs> yeah, and it it is taxing. Um, I've been passionate about women's issues for my whole adult life and just trying to give women a voice. And I I just feel it just doesn't make sense to not have people Mm -hmm. treat everyone equally. So um, it's my passion. um, And I don't know, you know, I have good days and bad days. uh, Oh, I can imagine. um, You know, in terms of my motivation. um, But I I don't know, it's just, it's been my life's work. It's not just a job. It's not just writing. It, it feels like a passion or a calling. Well, I think that you were brought to me in the podcast in a timely fashion because of, you know, so I appreciate that you reached out and that you're coming on the podcast. So let's dig into what your book is about. So set us up, you know, give us the title once again, kind of set us up before you read the stories, give us what information the listeners um, need to know so that they can understand the context. And I'm going to go on mute and listen, because if you guys can hear in the background, my dogs came in and decided to play during the podcast. (laughs) I'm going to go on you. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll read it for them too then. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> Good. Um, the name of the book again is Go, How to Get Going and Achieve Your Goals and Dreams. The book is um, divided into two parts. The first part is background information, talking about uh, why women and girls often lose their dreams, um, you know, what types of things get in the way, what are some ways to get around barriers. I actually identified 19 different barriers that women often uh, come across. And 
And then the second part is uh, a four-step kind of program on how to collect goal objects. And that's what GO stands for. The G-O stands for goal objects. And I'll explain a little bit about what that means when I get to that part. But let me just read a little bit from the first part of the book and a little bit from the second part. So this is chapter one, How Dreams Disappear. Pretty and petite, Christina was a woman who seemed to have it all. Her home was filled with the laughter of two kids and a husband who seemed to adore her. But sad eyes told another story. She attended a workshop I held in Bend, Oregon for women who wanted to work on identifying and capturing their goals, dreams, and aspirations. The workshop targeted busy women who felt unfulfilled or simply wanted more for themselves. When Christina shared her story, her contours were startlingly familiar, and the other women listening, including myself, nodded along knowingly. Several years ago, Christina attended college with the goal of becoming a graphic designer. Instead, she dropped out before graduating in order to marry Scott. Shortly afterward, she started having children, and amidst the chaos and demands of raising young kids, Christina felt her career dreams slipping away. She realized life was happening to her. External factors influenced her decisions, and personal goals got lost. She married Scott because he had asked, and she dropped out of school because she thought that's what women did once they became wives. Christina and Scott never really talked about when to have children. They had them because it was time their friends were having them. Of course, there was no question about her love for her children, but she regretted not waiting a few years to start a family so she could have finished college and started her career. Economically, this choice would have been helpful to her family. Emotionally, it would have allowed her to fulfill her dream of becoming a graphic designer. She felt waiting would have enhanced her self-esteem, making her a happier and healthier mother and role model. Now, Christina wanted to be more mindful about making life decisions. She also wanted to take more control and have a voice in those decisions. Christina felt restless and unsettled, and she hoped to reconnect with her dreams and a lost part of herself. So did Ellie, another workshop participant. Basketball-worthy tall with shiny dark hair, she exuded strength when she entered a room. Ellie shared with the group how she wanted to become a doctor since the time she'd spent weeks in a hospital as a little girl. She loved the medical staff, the science, the idea of helping others, and fixing problems. As a young child, Ellie even wore a white lab coat and stethoscope around the house. When Ellie was in ninth grade, her mother remarried. Her stepfather was an abusive alcoholic who belittled Ellie with toxic words that diminished her self-esteem. She soon began to struggle in school and started smoking marijuana. Her grades dropped. Ellie's lifelong goal of becoming a doctor faded away. She no longer believed she was worthy of her dreams. All she wanted was to get her GED and move out of the house. For several in the workshop, Ellie's story was heartbreakingly familiar as well. Both Christina and Ellie and so many others, perhaps even you too, are experiencing what I've come to be believe is an epidemic for women and girls, dream drain. It can happen when one is young, as it did with Ellie. In her work on gender, psychologist Carol Gilligan describes how girls hit a wall or lose their voices in early adolescence regarding personal goals and aspirations. They may no longer choose to follow their dreams due to peer pressure, an abusive environment, or an interest in boys. Consequently, girls often need special encouragement during these years to avoid losing sight of who they are and what they want. Dream drain can also happen later in life, as it did with Christina. The demands of life, uh, of life often sidetrack women 
from pursuing their goals that could make their lives more rich, exciting, and meaningful. Girls and women often adjust their dreams to fit their circumstances rather than adjusting their circumstances to fit their dreams. So that's just kind of a a kickoff to start talking about, uh, you know, really what what all of us maybe experience in different capacities. Um, So reading from the second part of the book, which kind of gets into the the nitty-gritty and how you can actually make, uh, in in four steps, how you can gather these goal objects that will um, help remind you of what you want to do. You know, people who successfully reach their goals think and and visualize about them every day. There's a lot of research, and we talk talk about that in the in the book. So, here's a little bit on on goal objects. Goal objects. A grouping of special objects selected by a woman or girl to represent her goals. Through mindfulness, visualization, and planning, a display of objects become empowering and a compass to keep her on her chosen path towards her goal. Goal objects are an antidote to dream drain. The power and visualization of goal objects. Objects stimulate visualization. Visualization stimulates thought. Thoughts stimulate words. Words stimulate actions. So if you change your visualization, you can change your life. Research suggests that visualization impacts how the brain functions. Brain neurons, cells that transmit information, interpret over time an image such as a goal object similar to a real-life situation requiring an action. The brain generates an impulse that tells neurons to do the action. The image creates a new neural pathway, clusters of cells that prepare the body to do actions consistent with what was being imagined through visualization. Visualization keeps a person linked to their goal, thus increasing their chances of seizing that goal. That vivid mental snapshot keeps you going when inevitable roadblocks appear. Top athletes have long practiced visualization as a way to stay focused on their task and to reach their goals. They close their eyes and imagine the field, course, or track and see themselves making a goal, diving off the high board into the pool, or jumping all the hurdles. They also visualize themselves being a winner on the award stand, bending forward and getting that shiny gold medal placed around their neck. Visualizing yourself as a pro tennis player, going to college, losing weight, starting a business, traveling to India, or learning to play the piano are powerful images. Everything begins to feel like it is within reach and doable. The power of planning and goal setting is evident in much of the business and self-help literature, yet regularly visualizing and focusing on your personal and professional goals is often overlooked. Not only is it just important to visualize, these steps are essential to success. Mindfulness, visualization, and focus form a powerful tool for women and girls seeking their goals. We have to participate fearlessly and passionately in the planning and manifestation of our goals. It is an ongoing process to grow and live your best life. Are you ready for the four steps to create your goal display, go display, and reach your goals? Turn the page and let's get started. Awesome. Awesome. I'm ready. So sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) I need to buy the book and continue. So listeners, I hope you found that um, exciting and energizing as well as piquing your interest. Um, 
there's some really key things that uh, Marsha talks about, visualization and being mindful. Those are things I talk about on the podcast and I have talked about on the podcast often, especially mindfulness. And um, so to see yourself fulfill your dreams, you have to have them in your forefront and, and make goals and set them. So fantastic. Thank you, Marsha. And I am uh, looking forward to also having you back when you um, write your fiction work I just want to know more but you won't tell me but that's okay I'll wait for it to come out <laughs> I it's wonder early if, I wonder if it's gonna have themes of this through it I kind of have a feeling it may have some themes <laughs> stay <laughs> tuned that's awesome well thank you Marsha for being here we appreciate it and we will definitely have you back again so um thanks for being here thank you for having me <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.